Patrick Balfour, the team of Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio making his weekly Monday appearance. It is his weekly Monday appearance. He's the managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. And what follows, as he does on each of those Mondays, what he does is to analyze all baseball. Of course, such a thing is uh, nigh impossible to summarize. However, I can say that there's some discussion of Mike Trout, which is always acceptable, about Fangraphs' own newest acquisitions, Kylie McDaniel. Prospector Kylie McDaniel and also Drew Fairservice, very Canadian Drew Fairservice. And I can also say uh, that Dave Cameron makes this comment, which I'll include with a view to compelling the listener to continue listening uh, so as he or she might ascertain the identities of the two teams about which Cameron is speaking. So I know both of these fan bases are tired of hearing it, but neither of them are as good as their record. Sangrass Audio, it features managing editor Dave Cameron, and it begins right now. Good, how are you? Good, are you ready to do this? I am. All right. Are you in New Hampshire? I am. I'm in New Hampshire. How's your new home? It's good. It's, um, I think it smells a little bit like pee, but it might just be the shirt that I'm wearing. Yeah. I'm going to guess that would be you. Yeah. So yeah. there's that. And, uh, also there was a, um, I'm still using the school's internet because there was a debacle, well, not a huge debacle, a minor debacle in terms of installing it. So, wait, you have free internet from the school? Sort of. I mean, we do get free internet from the school, but especially when the um, school year begins, there's it's possible that, like, the strength of the signal... Right, will be quite low. Well, yeah, right. So uh, they said if you really want to guarantee internet connection at all times, uh, you should probably go ahead get and your own. get your own. Yeah, yeah I think it's yeah. reasonable, right? right? Yeah. No, I right. That seems like a decent plan. Yeah. I am shocked to hear that a internet provider is providing poor service to a customer. Is that is does that happen? Does that happen other places too? I think the uh, whatever there's some uh, the consumerist is a website that like talks about uh, consumer issues, mm-hmm. and they've been doing like a worst company in America uh, poll for like the last five years or something. Mm-hmm. And I think Comcast and Time Warner have won every year. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, and yeah. now they're trying to merge. <laughs> so like the two worst companies in America are trying to become like the the worstest. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, when they're, when their powers combine. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> they form. This is like, uh, Captain Planet in reverse. What would be, uh, just to, to, um, let's see, to wrestle a baseball metaphor out of that. If you were to merge, if you were to merge players, you maybe were to the, m- the pitching ability of Adam Dunn mm-hmm. with the hitting <laughs> ability of Adam Dunn? Yeah, no. Right, right. Uh, you know, someone who's bad at hitting. Yeah. Uh, Ray Ordonez, maybe. Yeah, the. Oh yeah, Ray Ordonez. He's still a living person, probably. Yeah, well, I think so. He has somewhere. not been murdered, as far as I know. Somewhere, somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then well, so okay, so if you're gonna merge, so we know that uh, I think it's pretty clear at this point that Mike Trout's probably the best baseball player. Yes. Okay. Yes. Who is like how many players is Mike Trout combined? Um, probably like. Two all-stars. Mm-hmm. I think I did this last year. I feel like I did a post on this last year where it was like Mike Trout is, I don't know. I don't remember the two players I used, but it was like Jacoby Ellsbury and Shinsu Chu maybe. That, that sounds familiar. That sounds familiar. Where I took like a uh, Trout and some like replacement level scrub and they were, had like equal lines to Chu and Ellsbury. Right. Now wait, if you, uh, 
I, I was uh, a little bit more aware of Mike Trout this um, over the last couple of days than I am typically because he was playing the Red Sox of Boston. And uh, yes. uh, and uh, so I had occasion to take a look at – well, he, he struck out – well, of course, he had two home runs during the course of the series as well. Uh, he's also struck – he struck out a little bit during that series. Um, and he's he's posted the highest strikeout rate of his career, including even like his his uh, you know whatever his like forty game call up uh, when he was nineteen. Is that I mean is that an issue? I mean to what degree is that an issue? To, I don't in your think opinion? it's really an issue because he's hitting for more power. I think the reality is uh, I was looking at Trout this morning. He's becoming a pretty different player than he was a couple of years ago, and you could argue maybe slightly worse. Not that he's bad. I mean he's still the best player in baseball, but. Especially like in the things that aren't hitting, Mike Trout's still uh, an amazing hitter, even with the extra strikeouts, the the, the additional power is making up for that. Uh, but he's only stolen 12 bases this year. He's still 49 two years ago. Uh, he's 12 for 12 in stolen bases, so it's not like he's getting thrown out all the time. He's just not running anymore. And then if you look at his like non-stolen base base running numbers, he's like uh, been plus five uh, by. Um, those those metrics that we have on Fangraphs the last couple of years, he's like negative one this year. And uh, I looked it up on Baseball Reference. His his uh, percentage of like scoring on uh, a single when he's on second base is dramatically down. Um, his percentage of scoring on a double from first base is down. Then these are the kinds of things that drive the, right. the base running run values on our site. Uh, but you know, basically across the board, Mike Trout is either getting slower or worse. Uh, on, as a as a runner, it would make sense that as he gets older, he's going to slow down. But I didn't think he'd slow down maybe this quickly. Yeah, that's well. But do we know? I guess right. The the difficulty when you have players who are performing feats that have never been performed before. Yeah, you it's also hard to do them again. Right. It, right. It's hard. And, well, that and also it's hard to to uh, it's hard to project. How they will age because right. we don't – to find a comparable is um, impossible, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things with a player like Trout is you can base aging curves based on players who are worse than him. But, you know, we don't actually know what players as good as Trout this young will do because there hasn't ever been players as good as Trout this young. Uh, I think we do know that speed and defense peak early. Um, so it shouldn't be a surprise that Trout is getting worse at both of those things. And, again, his defensive metrics are bad again this year for the second straight year. Um, so I think, you know, it's interesting how Trout came up as, like, this, uh, you know, 20 homer, 50 stolen base great defense guy. And now he's, like, a 35 home run, 10 stolen base mediocre defense guy. He's still a great player. He's just a very different great player than he was two years ago. Well, do you know what I'd forgotten? He hit 30 home runs that, that first full season. Did he? Yeah, 30 home runs and 639 plate appearances. That's really good. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, he was good that year, and then he actually yeah. uh, posted a, a larger war the next season. Right. He's going to go down this year, though. I think his, uh, his the lack of defensive base running value, I mean, it's not like exactly the same, but kind of a fun uh, thought after the last couple of years of Cabrera versus Trout mm-hmm. is Mike Trout is kind of becoming Miguel Cabrera. I mean, he's obviously better defensively and a better base runner, but he's turning into a bat-first player. Uh, and instead of being the all-around guy he was the last couple of years. Now, do we have a sense to what degree this could be uh, a conscious choice, either that or, or like a, a question of emphasis on his part, uh, whether it's in terms of approach at the plate or perhaps in terms of training, like maybe he's looking to put on mass or, you know, <coughs> excuse me, to uh, work muscles in a different way, or is it uh, perhaps a... Uh, Oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Is it just, uh, I mean, is this the direction people go? 
Well, this is the direction people go. I mean, people get slower, especially athletes as they get older. Uh, but I think the speed of which this this change has happened is is unusual. And it wouldn't be shocking if you know this just turned out to be a blip on the radar and Trout started stealing bases again next year. I mean, we've seen guys, you know, just one year of stolen base totals doesn't mean that Mike Trout is now slow. Right. Uh, but I do think. It seems like Blade Trout's hitting down or in, in the order a little bit more often. He's not hitting lead off as much as he used to. I would guess that there's some conscious changes to where he is working on becoming more of a, you know, middle of the order hitter and less on being, you know, the guy who steals 50 bags every year. We might not ever see that version of Mike Trout again. We might see Mike Trout steal 20 or 30 bases again. I, that wouldn't surprise me. One who goes 49 for 54 in stolen bases? I, I doubt it. Uh, so another thing is, He's doing things now, not that he wasn't doing them before, as I just noted, he had 30 on runs a couple of years ago as a 19-year-old or a 20-year-old. Uh, he is doing things now that are typically those sorts of things which get you paid. Yeah. Um, but, of course, he's, or he's, he's already, already gotten paid. <laughs> he's already gotten paid. Do you, do you have a sense that if if he had been – if he were trying to um, arrange the same sort of deal – because he signed it when he signed it in March or April? Yeah, April, I think. April. And, uh, I mean, if you were to do the same thing now, would it be for more money by virtue of the season he's produced thus far? Well, even if it is not necessarily worth as many wins above replacement, but because it, he's he's doing those things which tend to get you paid? I don't think so. I think, like, so Trout's a little bit of an exception to the, like, speed and defense doesn't get rewarded because he also hits. And so mm-hmm. there, it wasn't, uh, besides the Baseball Writers Association of America and their weird obsession with the word valuable – there isn't this large cadre of people who are underrating Mike Trout. Like, I think everybody realizes Mike Trout's the best player in baseball, and he was going to get paid like the best player in baseball uh, because his value is obvious. And I think generally the speed and defense guys, maybe like, you know, Juan Lagaris or something like that, their value is less obvious because they're not hitting. But when you're also hitting, uh, it also calls attention to everything else you're doing. Yeah. All right. That's why, I mean, we didn't, we weren't going to necessarily talk about Mike Trout, but uh, I guess there's always, you don't really need, much of an excuse to talk about him. Yeah, I think uh, our our reputation as trout graphs will continue to live on for yeah, good reasons. I think that's right. I had a uh, <clears throat> I was moving into this apartment the other day, and uh, I had noted to well, this was this was current as of when I told my brother-in-law this. Now he's from he's from Michigan, okay. and uh, he's a Tigers fan. And I said, uh, oh yeah, you know, the last time I checked the playoff odds. The Tigers uh, had the best had the best odds, the best chance of winning the World Series. It was something. It was close to 20% at that time. I don't know what it is as of this morning, but I'm guessing it's not that high. Seeing as uh, they are almost uh, tied with the Royals at this point. Yeah, the Tigers have basically lost every game since you said that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but then he said, and I quote, he said, "But you guys hate the Tigers." Um, yeah, we, we have that <laughs> reputation too, which is which is interesting because I think uh, I've probably written. More positive things about the Tigers over the last, say, I don't know, the day after the Doug Fister trade than most organizations. Like, I loved the Prince Fieldery and Kinsler trade, and I uh, wrote a, a fairly positive review of the David Price trade, even though I don't love that trade for them, but it certainly wasn't a negative uh, review of that deal. Uh, you know, I think there's certainly guys on the Tigers that we have a decent amount of affection for, but because we argued for Mike Trout instead of Miguel Cabrera for MVP the last couple of years, Detroit fans are maybe not generally our biggest supporters okay yeah so you think it's sort of a it probably has much to do with that 10 i think I, I think that there was uh probably um 
some disdain from mm-hmm. from Detroit fans and how much their best player was slagged over the last couple of years. And I think that's one of the unfortunate things about the Trout Cabrera MVP debate is that uh, in trying to honor Trout, uh, one of the best players of his generation took a, took some beatings and when his flaws were greatly uh, delved into. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it's not like we don't like Miguel Cabrera, we just like him less than Mike Trout. Right. Now, it should be noted uh, for anyone who's new to the podcast that the, um, that squeak in the background uh, is not that's not Dave Cameron uh, playing with a doll. Uh, although I'm not one to judge, it's uh, <laughs> that's your dog Liberty. It's a Liberty is uh, on day four of <clears throat> a rainy, weird, cold stretch of North Carolina summer, and mm-hmm. she is annoyed. And yeah. so uh, instead of sleeping quietly in the corner or resting and letting me do the podcast in peace. She is demanding that I play dog of war with a squeaky red dog. Okay. All right. Very good. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, other things that have happened. Oh, yeah. Uh, wait. We do, oh, yeah. We, we, we invoke the Tigers. Um, they have not been playing excellently. And uh, I guess, unfortunately for them, fortunately for their division rivals, Kansas City Royals, the Royals have been playing uh, quite good. They've been winning. Yes. And seven so, in a row. Yeah. And so, and also, what, 15 of 18 or something? Yeah. Bananas like that. We get to a, a strange part of the season, right? Where, and I, and I noted this with regard to the Brewers the other day. As of when I said this a couple days ago, noticed this a couple days ago, the Milwaukee Brewers were projected, um, to produce the fourth highest rest of season winning percentage in the NL Central. So that's a division with five teams. Right. And they were projected to produce the fifth highest uh, winning percentage for the rest of the season. That's based off of, uh, proje- you know, projections given their current squad and their schedule. Um, but they, and yet they were, they were uh, being projected also uh, essentially to, or to, to win the division. They had the best odds of anybody in, in, in the NL Central of uh, taking the division. That, that's not necessarily true today, but that's a thing that can happen around this time of year. Right, you can you can play well for four months, so that if you don't play well for two months, it doesn't matter because you built enough of a cushion. Right, and so we're. I mean, I guess what? What sort of you, you and I will sometimes discuss where on the baseball calendar we are. We were recently. I mean, obviously the trade deadline is one of the bigger. I should say the July thirty first trade deadline. Um, that's one of the bigger moments and the uh, defining moments of the baseball calendar. Um, and then after that, you get deals, and maybe we could touch on this briefly, but deals for um, less prestigious players like Kevin Correa and Roberto Hernandez. Uh, right. Where, where would you say, I mean, are we, is that the, the point on the calendar we are right now is the Kevin Correa-Roberto Hernandez part? <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I mean, what they call them, the dog days of summer. I think these are kind of the, the dog days of summer that people refer to is the trade deadline's over. We're not that close to the you can't, I mean, you can, like, Standings every day, but they change a lot. You can't say, you know, this team's for sure in unless you're talking about the Oakland A's or something. Uh, and, you know, so we're kind of in this in-between stage where teams are trying to figure out where they stand. You've got four teams in the American League that are probably going to make the playoffs in Oakland, Anaheim, Baltimore, and Detroit. And then you have four behind them fighting for the second wild card spot. So I think you're kind of in a figuring it out stage. Right. Yeah, so so there's sort of like a, uh, I mean, this is a tired cliche, but the calm before the storm that is maybe September baseball insofar as at that point being able to feel not just, well, I'm questioning, as a a fan, certainly you sort of, uh, you know that by the end of the month the season will be over, so you feel on more of a visceral level 
the influence of the playoffs, right, and in, in whether this team will or will not qualify for them. Um, that doesn't happen as much for fans in August. Where, where do I mean, where do teams feel it, or do you feel like most smart teams have a sense of the their playoff odds, just like the ones that we produce at the site? I think most teams are probably running their own calculations, at least uh, maybe not most. I would say maybe half of the teams in baseball probably have their own playoff odds calculations and kind of are assessing their own uh, chances down the stretch. And, you know, that's um, going to include, you know, maybe half of the contenders. You've got 10 teams that are basically out of it or 12 teams, something like that, that have no chance and should, should know at this point that they have no chance. So of the remaining 18, maybe you've got like 9 or 10 of them uh, that are kind of doing their own in-house projections and saying, this is where we think we're going to land. Then you have like 9 or 10 teams that are probably uh, kind of looking at some public uh, Fangraphs type playoff odds and kind of saying, okay, well, we think we have a chance, uh, and we're just going to kind of go for it. And they're not necessarily calculating risk and reward. They're just, you know, putting pedal to the metal and hoping things work out. Right. Now, I, I, one of the teams that who sort of shot up the charts, we, we mentioned those Royals briefly. What are they, uh, what have they done? I mean, I, I mean, Jeff Sullivan wrote a piece about that for today yeah. and the kind of curious similarities between this current uh, iteration of the Royals and the one from last season. Uh, I mean, is it is it is this n- nothing more than uh, a team which has a certain true talent level and they're playing above it at the moment and it's helping them out? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Royals fans are probably tired of Fangraphs telling them that their team isn't any good, and we've been doing this for several years now. Uh, and then they've actually been pretty terrible for years before that. Uh, so I don't, you know, I'm hesitant to write more articles saying, "Hey, Royals fans, don't get your hopes up." Uh, your team is still bad, but Royals fans, sorry, your team is still not very good. Uh, I think by base runs, the Royals are about a 480 winning percentage team. They've been the second, uh, if you want to use the term luckiest, in terms of outperforming their base runs expectation based on clutch hitting, uh, clutch pitching, clutch defense, clutch everything, basically. Um, so the timing of their events has worked out very heavily in their favor. Uh, I think the, the Orioles are number two on that list in terms of uh, teams that are overperforming their expectations. So I know both of these fan bases are tired of hearing it, but neither of them are as good as their record. Now, are, are the are, are the Orioles doing it? Because uh, was it two years ago when they qualified for the playoffs? They did so by means largely on the basis of um, a crazy bullpen. Yeah, they uh, won a number of one-run games. Yeah, and they prevented, and I think the bullpen as well, it prevented. More runs, really, than it seemed like they ought to have given their yeah. uh, peripherals numbers. Is, is that how it's happening again this year? If, if you don't know right up the top of your head, that's fine too. No, I think this year it's more uh, about just kind of distributing events as a whole uh, in positive manner. So they're getting clutch hits, they're uh, stranding runners. It's not just the bullpen carrying the load this time. It's kind of uh, a team-wide uh, clutch effort. Um, and I think you know, I can understand uh, Orioles fans saying, "Hey, look, we're." We're doing this again. You know, at some point, maybe you want to give us credit and say this is something that we know how to do or Buck Showalter knows how to do. The problem is I think you can look through history and say, you know, this is something that Mike Socha's teams did for quite a while in Anaheim, and you can kind of go through the history of teams that outperform base runs over several periods, several years, and it would be easy to say this is not a uh, random anymore after several years of outperforming uh, or performing well in the clutch. You just need to admit that this your model is is flawed and it isn't picking up on some skill that we have. 
except for the fact that the Angels don't do this anymore, and Mike Fish is still their manager, and after you would have identified them as, like, you know, five or six years of outperforming their expected winning percentage, they they haven't done it since. And I think you can do that with almost any team that over even several years has outperformed their expectations is going forward they don't continue to, even if they employ the same manager and have many of the same players. Um, it's just the kind of thing that is very prone to random variation even over several years. And so even after, you know, the Orioles doing this again, we don't have enough evidence to say that this is something that they can continue to do, um, you know, even if it goes against our human instinct to want to think that someone could possibly randomly win an extra 15 games over three years. It's still, perhaps this is, well, I'm sure this has been mentioned before, in the world, I'm sh- it's uh, I'm sh- it's probably been mentioned between you and I. <laughs> there you go. Between you and I, it's sometimes it's difficult, uh, even as a person who cares about such things, to to um, have respect for sample size and to note that in some that you know certain things don't become reliable forever, even. Yeah, I'm not even sure it's a sample size issue here as much as it is not understanding kind of standard deviations. Mm-hmm. And so I think when people think about what an outlier looks like, their uh, their bar is too low, right? So, like, you know, if you say a team based on base runs is going, it should win uh, 81 games or a 500 team, you know, because of the, the kind of context-dependent clutch factors that do change the outcomes of games, one standard deviation on that is probably or in the range of six wins, right? It's totally normal for things to happen within two standard deviations in each direction. So it would not be weird for an 81-win team to win 93 games based on random variation. We wouldn't look at that and say, that is impossible, the model must be broken. Human beings would absolutely look at that. If the model says, this is an 81-win team and they win 93, the fan base of that team immediately comes and says, your model's stupid. Uh, because we just don't understand kind of the range of random variation within standard deviations. Or, or and or, uh, the next season when the team is composed largely of the same players and wins 81 games, there's maybe a sense of discontent among the, the fan base and uh, even perhaps among you know the, the managerial staff and the front office when they uh, when they return to being as good as they are. Right. I mean, I think the, the best example right now is the St. Louis Cardinals and their hitting with runners in scoring position. Last year, they were something like two and a half standard deviations from the mean in terms of hitting with runners in scoring position all year long. They just murdered the ball when there were men on base, and it really helped their uh, win record and their even their Pythagorean record because that takes that into account. Uh, and, you know, there were plenty of articles written about the Cardinals' approach and how they had contact hitters and, and kind of the way they were beating the expectation. And this year, I think they're like 28th or something in hitting with runners in scoring position. They're one of the worst teams in baseball, and they can't score any runs. Uh, it's one of those things that's like, you can do this over a year, it doesn't mean you have a skill. Even if you do it for six months and, and you watch it on a daily basis, it's very hard to say, I watched this person do this for six straight months, but it's not a skill when the evidence suggests that's actually the truth. It's yeah. just difficult to see that with your eyes and come to that conclusion. I was spending t- some time with my 93-year-old grandfather, and uh, he was he was alarmed about the UNS Cespedes trade because um, he said not only did he say, well, he's only batting – 250 or 260 or something like that, but he had a bad game the day before. And so my grandfather thought that the deal uh, was a poor one. And, right, because uh, he had a bad day. Having a bad day and also, you know, we were batting 250 in Oakland, of course. But having to explain that, the you know, one would have to adjust the UNS Cespedes' numbers for the park uh, and additionally that probably one 
one day's worth of data is not particularly significant. Doing that, and also when your grandfather, my grandfather can't even pronounce his name, so there are a lot of difficulties with that. Could we have a podcast of your grandfather saying you want to and then having you know Saris say it? They could have, yeah. Well, we, we like a, a pronunciation off. Yeah, we could. Yeah, I would. Uh, I think that'd be fine. Hey, uh, speaking of, I don't know if we're going to see Eno Saris. Not this weekend. No, but there's a thing this weekend. There is a thing this well, weekend. Well, I was hoping that we might uh, we might touch on that because we, I we should touch on for it. my own personal benefit because I don't know because you don't have a plan. Yeah, let's say. Uh, what do you want to talk about first, the seminar itself or the Fangraphs well, event specifically? Why don't we go by calendar date? Okay. So we would start with the Saber Seminar Eve party. Hmm. That sounds fun. It does sound fun if you're not into having fun. Okay, so who's, who's so what? Fangraphs <laughs> readers clearly not into having fun should come. Okay, so what is this? Uh, um, or is, when is that hap- When is that? That's the it's Friday evening. This Friday, oh, yeah. uh, August fifteenth, I believe the date is. Hmm. Uh, Mead Hall in Cambridge. Oh, so we yeah. did this last year too. So it's the same place if you attended last year. If you didn't, the Mead Hall is a two-story bar uh, in Cambridge, which is you know where all the universities are basically. Uh, and then we have reserved a portion of their upstairs area for nerds to come and drink and hang out and talk baseball. Right. Yeah, we did and that. That's, uh, free. There's no admission, and you don't have to be going to the conference that follows the next few days in order to come. There's no ticket. You just show up and, and enjoy. Yeah, and I think that the only caveat is that for anyone under 21, it may be difficult. Yes. If yeah. you're under 21, you should maybe invest in a fake ID. Yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. Easy. Easy before you go condoning that sort of behavior. <laughs> I, be I didn't. Wrong. I didn't say what age the fake ID should put on it. Maybe I'm saying they should get like a 12 year old ID. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. fair enough. The uh, okay. So that's the thing that happens. And I, I was there last year. That was uh, that was a lot of fun, and uh, that was in fact the only part of the seminar I attended. Right. Uh, and that may be the case this year, but who who cares? The uh, <laughs> the next day is what? That's so the next day starts the seminar itself. Yeah. So the Saber Seminar is put on by Chuck Corb and Dan Brooks, uh, who people will know from Brooks Baseball. Um, and it is a two-day conference, Saturday and Sunday, from 9 a.m. to 5-ish p.m., something like that. Uh, All-day speakers and Q&As and demonstrations and interesting lectures and very nerdy baseball stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, how does this uh, differ from events that also exist along these lines? Well, of course, there's the, um, the conference that's in during uh, February or March in, in Cambridge. Or it has been in Cambridge, and I think it's in Boston now. That's the Sloan, uh, the Sloan Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. Yeah, right. There's that, and then there's the the Saber Analytics Conference that happens in Phoenix, maybe a week or two after that. Right. So yeah, that's it. The, the Sloan Sports Conference is barely baseball. It is a mostly basketball conference because it's organized by Daryl Morey, who's the general manager of the Houston Rockets, and has its roots very heavily in the basketball analytics community. Uh, so if you attend the sports, the Sloan Sports Analytics community, I hope you like basketball or networking. Those are the two functions essentially is to, you know, go shake Bill Simmons' hand or see Mark Cuban or something. Uh, or to, you know, hear 45 talks about basketball. And then they'll have a baseball panel, which usually is, you know, one hour of some baseball talk. And that's about it. There's not, there's not a lot of baseball content at the Sloan conference. Okay. Uh, but it doesn't make it a bad conference, just not really a baseball conference. Um, the Saber Analytics Conference in Phoenix, I would say, is um, maybe a little bit more geared towards uh, 
Hmm. I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. Probably people who are really interested in panel discussions with people who work in the game. So um, most of the kind of the conference agenda for the Sabre Analytics Conference in Phoenix is general managers, uh, players, uh, front office personnel, scouts, agents, kind of guys who work in the game to discuss issues around the game with some media stuff thrown in. There was an ESPN panel last year. Um, you know, but I would say it's more of, of people working in the game talking about their jobs with some vagueness because they don't want to give away too many secrets. The Sabre Seminar in Boston is my favorite of the events, in part because it's not... There are you know, Jeff Lunau is going to be there, Ben Sherrington is going to be there. There are inside baseball people who will give some talks. Uh, I think John Farrell is going to come again. But there's also a lot of not inside baseball people presenting really fascinating research. Uh, one of my favorite parts is always kind of what they call the abstracts, where uh, a procession of college kids, generally in the 20, 18 to 25 range, will get up and give a 10-minute overview of some thing they're working on that isn't fully fleshed out yet. They don't have to present the entire, uh, you know, thesis, but they kind of say, here's the thing I'm working on. This is neat. Come talk to me. Mm-hmm. And you see some really interesting ideas. Uh, a bunch of people who present those things then get hired by major league teams, and you never see their actual thesis because it goes to the team that hires them. Uh, but there's also, you know, people like Dan Brooks who, you know, give talks about things, and we're going to see a demonstration from the guys who uh, run TrackMan, which is, you know, part of the new Major League Baseball tracking system that's being developed. Uh, there's going to be, you know, a decent amount of folks who can talk about things rather than saying, well, you know, I might have made a trade that I can't tell you about, but it would be interesting if I could tell you about it. Right, yeah, and I see, well, what is this? Uh, uh, Saturday, there are two keynote addresses, one at 1030, <laughs> one at 130. That's Jeff Lunau and Ben Sherrington called Fangraphs.com Keynote. Is that just because we're we're sponsors, or do we do something else? We we paid them money. So mm-hmm. basically, we uh, we are supporters and partners of this conference, uh, and we like it a lot. So we gave them extra money, and they said, okay, well, as a reward, kind of like you know the Kickstarter tiers for giving yeah. this much money, we're going to let you introduce uh, two major league GMs. I'm going to be the person who's going to be giving those, but I think I I realize that no one is coming to the favorite seminar to hear me introduce anyone. Yeah. So I'm going to basically be like, here's Ben Sherrington, and hand over the mic. Yeah, right. That's going to be the extent of my keynote. Yeah. Yeah, that's what. What, I mean, what do people want to hear you say? There's only yeah. I mean, there's, there's a half hour. How much are you going to take up? Uh, right. I, I think you know if there's a major league GM giving up his time to come talk to people. No one wants to sacrifice any of that to mm-hmm. hear me talk about them no, when, when the, they're standing right there. With a with Luna, are you going to will you make any reference to the fact that uh, their their uh, organization has a data has a data leak? <laughs> there's a there's a lot of things I could probably uh, yeah. tweak. If yeah. I, you know, maybe I could make a Brady Aiken reference that would yeah, probably right. go over like a lead balloon. Yeah, uh, I think it's probably best to avoid. Uh, mocking people who have donated their time. And, and you know, it should be noted, this, one of the reasons I like the Sabre Seminar so much is the entire thing, 100% of the the proceeds, not 100% of the profits, 100% of the money that comes in is given to the Jimmy Fund for cancer research and, and patient care. Uh, it is not a for-profit enterprise like Sloan or the Sabre Analytics Conference, uh, which, you know, happy to support them, but, you know, they're... They're, those conferences exist to make money. This conference exists to raise money for charity. They pay no one anything. Like, Ben Sherrington's not getting paid for coming to this. Jeff Lunau's not getting paid. Yeah. Not only are they not getting paid, they're not paying their, their way there. They're not paying any uh, airfare or hotel or any of that kind of stuff. Everyone who comes, including us, 
Uh, we buy our own plane tickets. We find our own places to stay. We pay for our own meals. Like everything is donated uh, so that we can raise money for the Jimmy Fund, which is awesome. Well, that's a great event. Yeah. Yeah, you sold me. Well, I didn't because you're not coming, right? Yeah, that's right. Well, I'll be there. I'll be around. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I only had a come on. I'm like Cameron. I mean, you, you, you can say it. Well, you say, say terrible things about me all the time. So <laughs> anyway, all right. Uh, yeah, I think you've uh, filled your obligation here. Does that feel good? Sure. We should maybe mention, I'm, I'm oh. assuming. Uh, oh, yes, of course. Right. Yeah. The, the news of the day. You yeah, should mention that's, this. That's right. Uh, R- uh, Kevin Correa has been signed with the Dodgers. <laughs> that is what I was referring to. How oh, Kylie, you know? Kylie McDaniel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you have a new prospect boss. Oh, thank God. Yeah. yeah. Thank God. To, I'm nowhere, I'm nowhere near being in charge of that. Yeah. That's good for everybody. Yeah. Kylie's great and he's got, he's got like a serious squad. He does. Uh, he's, he's brought in some, some, a crew and I think, uh, I'm excited to see what our prospect coverage is going to look like now that it's not just the fringe five. He, okay. Okay. Yeah, we'll see. It'll, it, there'll be some developing, yeah. Yeah, no, I think uh, it'll be fun to talk about talented players. And oh, then you okay. can still write about your untalented players. I Although know. I noticed Jose Ramirez hit a home run in the Major League the other day, so you should be happy. Wait, who did? Oh, yeah, Jose Ramirez, yes. Yeah. I'm excited. Well, actually, he and Zach Walters on the same field for Cleveland. That was a, a big moment for me, personally. They called up Zach Walters? I must have missed that. Yeah, he played left field yesterday. Ah, well, that's yeah. probably good because his defense is not great. Yeah, I don't think his defense is fantastic, but I mean, you can you can fall from average shortstop and still end up on the plus side of the, the ledger. Right, he might be an okay outfielder. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's I think he's an asset. He hits a lot of home runs. He does. It will be interesting to see how many breaking balls Zach Walters gets in his major league career. Yeah. I, that would, I would be interesting. I guess it's going to be a lot. If if pitchers know what they're doing, the number should be quite high. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm just saying he's an interesting piece. He was not uh, highly touted, and uh, yeah. he has a he has a curious profile, one you don't usually see. Yeah, um, I like how I tried to bring up Kylie McDaniel, and now we're talking about Zach Walters. You have uh, your your own unique way, Stewie. Well, we <laughs> we could uh, we could see what Kylie. I think I'm going to do a podcast this week with Kylie weekly, Good. in fact. A- and Drew Fairservice. Yes, Drew Fairservice and I are recording tomorrow, Tuesday. Nice. That's, you're, uh, you're, you're and that's a, that's another that's another big get. I think, uh, you know, I will say a lot of these have like kind of not fallen into our lap, but have been kind of no-brainer additions. But between like uh, August Figerstrom and Neil Weinberg and then more recently Drew Fairservice and Kylie McDaniel, I am quite pleased with some of the people who have joined Fangraphs lately to the point where I almost feel uh, redundant. Well, I was going to say if and when I'm fired, I will understand entirely. Yeah, I've been I pushed think... out by people who are more talented. Right. This is kind of the... The upside for us of the downsizing at the score and sports on earth and kind of the elimination of some, some positions at other, other highly paying websites or decently paying websites is now there are people like Drew Fairservice who are available to write for fan graphs. Bad for them. Good for us. Yeah. Polite, Canadian, and with a, with a beautiful voice. So that's what, that's, that's the main reason to get him on. It is amazing when we announced that he was hired, how many people hit me up and said, get that man on the podcast. Like, people people uh, like his voice. He's a, a podcast legend yeah, of some he, sort. Well, yeah, yeah. He was running that podcast over at the score for, for yeah. a while. So people liked it. He's a popular dude. Yeah. Well, well, you know, he's you know, he's a good good guy. We'll find out more about him uh, this yeah. week. Yeah. All right. Tune in we... on the uh, the the podcast of new people. Yeah, that's right. All right, you're done. All right. All right. That has been uh, Dave Cameron. 
Uh, managing editor of Fangraphs. I'm Carson Sestouli, and this has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.